As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are excited to be with you on the brink of uh, this weekend's trip to Dallas. There will be meat, there will be cowboys, and Bengals. But mostly, I can only one thing I can guarantee is that there will definitely be meat eaten by me in yeah. significant portions. What there will not be is Jay. No, no, Jay, Jay gets a, Jay's going to take in Pearl Jam on Saturday night. Yes. In Louisville. So congratulations to you on that. I expect a full report on that show next week, uh, maybe in the walkout. And uh, I will be doing the Dallas trip, and then we'll be uh, conversing. We'll be conversing on the, on the walkout here, myself in Dallas, and Jay here back on the homestead uh, as, as we wrap up that game. Should be a fun, should be a fun weekend for both of us. Yeah, yeah, super. Really looking forward. This is the second time I've seen Pearl Jam uh, taking, introducing my son and his girlfriend to them. So that should be interesting to to see what they think of a an old time rock and roll band. That don't see. I just that's that's so hard for me. <laughs> old time rock and roll band who's like such a central figure in my development and youth and and evolution as a person. Like Eddie Vedder's been there for for me through a lot of big moments and uh, and so, like puberty. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was, tw- I mean, I was, you know, you, you go back to the beginning. I mean, I was what, 12 when yeah. 10 came out. I mean, I, you know, so it's very formative, very formative. So I'm jealous <laughs> of you. I've seen them more than twice. So I, I, I feel like I need to give myself some credit, but it will not be this weekend. I will not be going to Louisville, which makes me very sad. However, I will be going to Dallas. We got a lot to talk about with this game. Yes. Uh, we are going to Go down to Dallas and talk to John Machota, who is part of our tandem covering the Cowboys. Um, highly recommend. Make sure you give him a follow uh, on the app and also on Twitter and to keep up with all the news coming out of Dallas, which is a total unmitigated disaster, and they will tell you as much. Uh, <laughs> and so we've got a lot to talk about there. Cooper Rush and... Micah Parsons and Trevon Diggs and so much to get to there. But um, 
we're going to talk a little bit about offense. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, play calling. There's a, a heavy amount of discussion that continues to be had there with this Bengals offense. And as they go to face a team in Dallas who had 26 interceptions last year and uh, you know as many as the Dallas franchises had since 1987, led the league, um, part, it's who they are. It's part of their core. Um, that is going to be central, front and center. So we're going to get to that. Of course, we will preview the game, talk about some matchup stuff, run past your boots. we got our Arby's to bring to you. Uh, Growler Bet is back. Apologies for not having yes. that last week, uh, but the Growler Bet is back. we got a good one for you. You know, I love time of games, Jay, so we're going to yes. drop a time of game on you for you. And uh, so we'll have uh, run past your boot, predi- final predictions at the end of the podcast so a lot to get to let's quickly open up uh with news not a ton of news to be honest i mean it's still pretty early um but t higgins on the right track as he goes through the protocol um he was in uniform and taking part and usually when when the wednesday comes and a guy is taking part in any capacity in practice that's in concussion protocol that very typically tracks towards them returning for Sunday. So things looking good for T Higgins coming out of the protocol for this weekend. Yeah. And really when you think about it, the the positions most likely to to bounce back quicker from those those concussions, it seems like the the wide receivers who are who are not banging every play. And great news that he was out there. We'll see today. We're recording this on Thursday morning. We'll see what happens Thursday. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at all to see him be a, a full participant, but a lot goes back to the baseline test that they do and, and, and how they want to bring him along. But even if he's limited today, I wouldn't be concerned. It still feels like he's tracking towards being out there on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Josh Tupo showed up as a non-participant yeah. um, with a shin injury. So, um, keep an eye on that. Trent Taylor didn't participate with a hamstring, which that's expected. They're just trying to nurse that thing back to health. Obviously, he looked okay uh, on Sunday. Um, so we'll see what happens with Tupo. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see the the debut of Jay Tufele, uh, who they picked up potentially if 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 Tupo can't go to give them depth there. Of course, they're going to need the big bodies against the run. I mean, Cowboys are going to look to lean on Ezekiel Elliott mm-hmm. and that running game with Cooper Rush in and trying to figure stuff out. So you got to figure it'll be a big game for the Bengals' big boys who had a big day last week. That's three bigs, Jay. I just dropped yeah. three bigs in there. Parallel. Feel, feel that construction. Did you feel that construction? It felt good. I did. You, you should mention DJ Reader's size too. You could go big there and make it four because he's going to be big, big literally and physically in this and game. And had a big game last week, no doubt. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we probably don't talk enough about how good DJ Reader yeah. was uh, last week and, and really has been. I mean, when they face these teams that are trying to run it, God, he's just such a weapon. He is just such a weapon in there and just 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 absolutely blocking everything up. Um so that's kind of the basis of the news. Um not really anything anything else to report. A bunch of people showed up, but they were they were dinged, but they were full participants. So no 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 real issues. They're just your standard bumps and bruises. Hmm. Let's um let's open by talking a little bit about Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, play calling and and you know what what we're seeing there because it's a, it's a lot of big part of the discussion. Jay has a story up on Joe Burrow trying to bounce back and kind of his thoughts on how to bounce back and expectations for him this weekend. I have a story up on Jamar Chase and why he you know internally they 
were in love with the game that he played. It was beyond just mm-hmm. 10 for 129 and a potential walk-off touchdown. It was, you know, so much more the fact that he played 95 snaps or 100 or what we're counting it as with the penalties um, and never came off the field once. And, you know, people probably didn't realize how many different routes he was running because in a lot of stuff they hadn't practiced during the week because once Higgins went down, they were purposely moving Jamar into plays that were designed for T. Higgins as a number one read and because they wanted it to go to chase over Mike Thomas. And so he ends up in a lot of places he's not usually in, running a lot of stuff they didn't really practice that particular week or recalling back, and did all of that while never coming off the field for a record number of snaps uh, and giving high level of production, just a stupid good game that everyone internally was just marveling at. Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, anybody you talk to, marveling at his ability to do that. You know, Because, Jay, it's one thing for offensive linemen to do it, and like it's tough, that's tough grinding in there, but that happens a lot. When you're running down the field over and over and over again and back, and you play the physical way that he plays too in the in the run game and stuff, man, that's ridiculous. And let's not forget that the, this is the opener. He hasn't played 60 minutes of football in six months, whatever it's been. Didn't play anything in the preseason. Uh, just conditioning is an issue for everyone in week one and for him to go out and do that. And it wasn't super hot, but it was still, it was, it was close to 80. I mean, it was, it was pretty remarkable what he was able to do. And he admitted he was on fumes at the end of the game, but it's one of those things where it's kind of a mind over matter where on the sideline in the huddle, he's, he's feeling it, but you, it did not look like he was feeling it when he was running his routes and he was catching that ridiculous one-handed touchdown that was nearly the walk-off touchdown and a couple plays later getting the actual touchdown not to mention the touchdown that was a touchdown that was not a touchdown uh the catch that that set up the first uh first and goal in the fourth quarter just really really impressive performance outside of catching balls and, and and yards just the fact that he was out there for every single play and i think the the lesson on this going forward is man they can just continue they can lean as hard as they want on jamar chase i mean Mm -hmm. we we saw them dropping in a lot of the new package stuff you know whether you know where he ended up being he was 20 about 22 percent slot percentage but you know he was about when he was outside it was about a 50 50 left right Mm -hmm. inside eight times he was in he was part of the inside of trips so slot trips um, as as part of those twenty two slot snaps, you know, deep, intermediate, short, quick hits, and no matter what they threw at him, like he he just handled it. And I think that is there. It it, it it solidified. They can't they they can't lean too hard. You 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 can't lean too hard on trying different stuff and moving him around and keeping that. And you know, he talked about how great it was of being able to keep the cloud off of him because of how much he was moving and doing different stuff. We talked about that a lot in the run-up to the season, and we saw a lot of that stuff on top of him taking a lot of the the Higgins uh, routes. So I just think the moral of that story is, you know, the Bengals need to continue to lean on him. I thought Joe Burrow was really interesting on Wednesday saying, we need to get it to him more. You know, I mean, and actually when you you think about 70 dropbacks – and, and to, I mean, it's, it's it's not some massive target percentage. 
Uh, I mean, the ball still spread around. Now, it was a high for Jamar, but again, it was a high for a lot of things because of the the quantity. But still, um, there was a lot of focusing on him. And the only concern I ever have with that stuff is is trying to get trying too hard to force feed one person. It's like what has made this offense great, what is supposed to make this offense great is the ability to distribute to different guys. And you worry for a second yeah. about okay, got to get it to chase more, right? And like that takes me back to the old force feed AJ Green days and like that always made the offense worse. If in rather than just letting it come to him, Burrow very good at letting it come to him. But I, I when I hear when you hear phrases like that, it does give you a little twinge of like, okay, well, that's great. And there's never a, like it's never bad to say get the ball to chase, but like it is important to not force feed it. Yeah, and it's it's different when you're everything's clicking and you're out there and you're playing from in front. You can you can let the game come to you more. When you fall behind 14 to a division rival, there is that tendency to kind of force the issue a little bit. And, um, and T. Higgins being out of the game, what he went out early in the second quarter. So that that was another reason um, that, that I think he saw Joe go to Jamar as much as he did. Um, it's it, – it, it, it's a dilemma. I, I mean, you do want him involved, but you don't want to. You don't want to become so predictable either. Um, I, I, I expect if T plays, I, I think you're going to see a lot more equal share this week. Um, we'll see how the the Cowboys play them, but um, I, I do think that if it could, it gets late fourth quarter, yeah, he's your guy in the crunch, and and you you do look for him uh, more than anyone else. But as the game develops, it, it's it's always a better idea to try to get as many guys involved as possible. Just don't forget uh, so many great stats from Jamar Chase last year, but also six interceptions on balls thrown his way. Mm. And a lot of time that was when Joe was just a little too comfortable with Chase in some spots and and, and un- unable to connect it. Now, again, this is continue getting the ball to Jamar Chase. Find new ways. Do it a lot. Like that. This is not the conversation here, and this is not anyway. I mean, the the dude is just ridiculous right now, and he looks better than he did last year. And and I agree with what Brian Callahan is saying today is that this is really probably it being undersold how impressive his performance was. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, on this weekend, and I, I look for them to 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 lean heavier on it. Just always. You, know, you always want to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, with the return of T. Higgins, you think that's going to be less of a problem. And with Joe Burrow in particular, I worry about that less than I worried about it with Andy Dalton just throwing the ball to A.J. Green just because it was A.J. Green a lot. Yeah, and it, I mean, A.J. had people around him too. He had a, a, a nice compliment with Sanu and Marvin Jones, and it was still – it was it, it felt like that was more of the not just force it into AJ, but kind of throw it up and let him try to make a play. Uh, whereas, whereas Burroughs, when he goes to chase over and over again, it's more in the actual uh, thread of the offense. Yes. Um, with Burrow. So this weekend, I mean, with the way Dallas is focused on picking the ball off and Trevon Diggs is a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be on Jamar Chase a lot. Jamar Chase... Not really afraid to say what he thinks about <laughs> Trevon Diggs. Like, no. uh, yeah, I mean, his technique ain't so solid and whatever. Like, basically, I that's just some just a guy to him, you know? And he, he sees it as someone who he can take advantage of. And so not shying away. Of course, the same way he wasn't shying away from stating how he felt after his fourth catch against the Steelers <laughs> when he drops the double birds 
which we missed. Jay, you found it on the broadcast, right? It actually yeah. did end up being on the broadcast, not just great photo by, by the way, photo from Ohio University Bobcat Emily uh, Chin is who had yes. who had that photo. Of course, of course, of course a Bobcat caught that photo. Um, a great one that is circulating everywhere. And Jamar Chase asked what he thought about it. Pretty cool Pretty picture. cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> first, he's done it before. This is the first time he's ever been caught, uh, which I just, I, I don't know. It's weird. Normally, stuff like this happens or like, you know, someone rips a mouthpiece off someone's face mask and Jamar. Jamar. Jamar did. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And and we will, you know, generally there will be crucifying of that person, right? Like, oh, geez. I mean, you know, this is this is uncalled for, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's, there's often a, a loud contingent of people who don't who just don't like it, especially that penalty really cost them in that game. Mm. There has been very little of that. I think people, he's just such a, li- he's so likable in the way he talks about it. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I did it on purpose. And he's smiling, talking about how he did it on purpose. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's very likable. Uh, so I, I find it very interesting how people have he's, – he's just got such a soft kind of likable demeanor to him, how he's talking about how he gave someone a double bird and ripped someone's uh, mouthpiece out, and everyone's like, oh, that's really fun. I think part of it, too, if it happened against anybody else, there might have been some more consternation, but it happened against the Steelers and everybody's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, good job, Jamar. They, they There's there's a lot of hatred for that team among the Bengals fan base. So I think he got a bit of a pass where that's concerned. There is no question. I mean, how many man caves from <laughs> Mason to Madisonville will have that picture uh, up in it? And I hope it has the caption above it. It just says pretty cool picture you know that's like well, that's what i that's what i envision is that's going to be very popular in uh in uh cincinnati area man kids all right let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Burrow interception thing. Um, so, Jay, you know I've got stats, too. Yeah. I'm allowed to have stats, too. And this is not. I have better stats on our other topic on play calling here, but these stats, this is just a reminder to everyone about how important this is to the Bengals and winning with Joe Burrow. And, mm-hmm. Because, you know, he is he is a big play guy. He is looking to hit big all the time and be aggressive, and that is his nature, Like and give his guys a chance to go make plays. Sometimes it backfires on him. Sometimes he has games where it gets a little out of control. When it doesn't, they win. When it does get out of control, they lose. It's kind of simple. In games where he's had more than one interception, going back last year and then obviously the the opener against Pittsburgh, including playoffs, 0-5 more than one pick. With zero picks, they're 7-2, which is the 
overtime loss to San Francisco, which I hardly even count as a loss considering how good they played and how they should have won that game. And Super Bowl. Um, again, I believe a game that a lot of fans would point to and say should have won. But that's point seven two, And then with one pick, they're 6-1. and one. Just the Jets game last year and that blind – what are the blind receiver screen? Yeah. Yeah, uh, which we'll bring up next week. Um, but – Six and one with one pick. So 13 and three with zero or one interception. Oh, and five with more than one. I mean, in a lot of ways, Sunday in Dallas, because of the low expectations for Cooper Rush and the Dallas offense, feels like it comes down to that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. That's what the Cowboys do. They are, they are so good at, at taking the ball away, particularly plucking it out of the air with interceptions and, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Brian Callahan talked about the, the lesson that, that needs to come from Sunday's game is you, you don't need a touchdown on every drive. You, you don't need to second play of the game. You don't need to be forcing that in there. And, um, I, I think Joe knows that, but it was just, it was a good reminder that you, you, you work your way into the game you get the feel for it. You, you don't need to take those unnecessary chances so early and we'll see. We'll, you know, we'll see if they come out and try to attack right off the bat or if, if they do go more balanced and, and try to get mix and going with the run and um, let Joe kind of settle in before taking some shots. It's, it, it's, it's a tough proposition there because you do, you want to play with the lead. You want to get off to a fast start. I don't know how many times, in our 10-minute conversation with Jamar yesterday, he said, we got to come out firing. He said it over and over and over again. And he, he wasn't talking about first series of the game. He was talking about first play of every drive, but also to, to start the game. It's just he, he is a big believer in those fast starts. So th- there's a balance there. You, you, you do want to start fast, but you don't want to take those chances. And um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because th- we've never seen this from Joe before. We've seen him have bad games. We've seen the multiple picks. We've never seen four. Um, so it's it's going to be is it going to be the the short memory gunslinger Joe Burrow or is it going to be the a little more passive and reserved Joe easing into the game? I don't know if it'll be passive and reserved, um, but I do think laser focused. I mean, you could yeah. there was still an edge to him on Wednesday. He mm. is. I mean, you can sense he's just whether it's focused or pissed or whatever. And we talked, Jay, in the walkout, we made, we we said this is a really important to make this point because a lot of people were talking about him sitting in his locker. Mm-hmm. We did too. After the game, just staring straight ahead, you know, looking almost like catatonic, um, wondering if he was still going to be there on Monday when we showed up. <laughs> uh, full uniform and all that. You know, he, And we said then, look, this was the first game we've ever been in the locker room with Joe Burrow after a game, the first time ever. Because of co- him as a COVID pick, and I said we don't know. This could be. I, I've heard that he had done that before, and and it's important to remember that there's perspective on this. Could just be how he processes things, and he was quick to snap off that. Look, I do that after every game, after every game. Now the, he said he admitted maybe this was a little bit longer mm-hmm. than 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 normal sometimes, but that's what he does. He sits in his locker in his uniform after every game. Uh, and, and I, after wins, I'm sure, you know, sometimes there's a cigar and a dance if you win the division <laughs> or whatever. Um, but you know, I bet after losses, that's a lot of what it looks like, especially at home. 
they don't have to go get on the bus to go to a plane. So uh, it, he was very quick and kind of um, frustrated, I, I would say, would be the how I would categorize the tone to point out that that's how what he does all the time and, and nobody needs to be going making a big deal of that. And I thought that was important. We don't, we don't have that context. It was weird looking. Right. Um, but he's wired like that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see as we go through the season if it really does look like that every game. We'll know eventually. But it, it is, you know, I thought that was interesting. You could tell his tone was still one of very agitated laser focus. Interesting, too. He said he does that after practice a lot. He just yeah. sits there and kind of rehashes what he did, what he saw. I mean, maybe that's, that's how he internalizes and, and, and learns. Um, but you're right. He was, he, he, you could tell he thought maybe too much was being made of that. And we did. We made the point that this, maybe this is. We, we have no idea. We've never seen him at his locker. Um, it's, it's kind of foreign to me. You know, after I wrap up a hard sand volleyball game, I just <laughs> go straight to the bar and I don't think about a single point from the game. Yeah, that's that's why you and Joe have uh, different records of success <laughs> in your particular sports. Although I, I do that same thing at home, but it's mostly because my kids are just melting down and I just don't want to deal with it. So I just stare <laughs> ahead and act like I'm thinking about stuff from the day when actually I'm just trying to avoid having to deal with uh, uh, a, a post-school meltdown. Um, just put on, the, put on a show, kids. Daddy's thinking about work. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, so, so I, I don't. I, I anticipate a bounce back. Jay, you had stats about this, uh, his bounce back games earlier. But I want to go back into when we talk about your stats. You know, slow starts. Yeah. The, you know, you 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 went back and did a look because we had a, we had a question about slow starts earlier this week, and obviously that was a big deal last year, right? It was always these sluggish first halves until two minutes before halftime, and they'd hit some bomb, and that's what really got us going. Like we would hear it every single freaking week, and so I, it's kind of a part of. It seems like it's a part of their dynamic and Burrow's dynamic, and that's why I really was curious to see what your stat uh, run came out with. So I broke them down into quarters, not quarters, NFL quarters, but uh, drives one and two, drives three and four, drives five and six, and drives seven and eight. And Joe Burrow and drives one and two, his numbers do not look like Joe Burrow at all. He, he's averaging 6.3 yards per attempt, one touchdown. He's thrown one touchdown in on his an whole opening, career in his whole career. He's thrown okay. one touchdown on an opening drive. Um, it, it, well, in an opening or a second drive, um, the, the one to Chris Evans in Detroit last year, uh, six interceptions, a 71.5 passer rating. That's in 54 first and second drives of a game. Wow. You get to drives three and four. There's Joe Burrow, 8.3 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns. Three interceptions, 114.2. Drives five and six, 8.7. 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, 114.8. And then drives seven and eight, 7.9. 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, 108.7. Wow. Just it, it just totally, it, whether it's easing in, whether it's the play calling, who knows what's going on. You can't put all of the six interceptions against one touchdown on play calling. That's a decision making a lot on Joe Burrow's part, but it's, it's a pretty stark contrast. And I thought, okay, so you look at the big four in the AFC, 
what what does Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert look like in drives one and two? Is this just a quarterback thing that a lot of them have trouble settling into games? Uh, no. Patrick Mahomes, 7.9, 19 touchdowns, four interceptions, 109 rating. Josh Allen, 6.2, not quite as good, but 17 touchdowns, six interceptions, 93.7. Justin Herbert, 6.8. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, 97.5. So it is it is stark how slow that Joe Burrow has started his his first two drives and how he has started his career in those first two drives. Uh, 54 total drives, only 17 netted points of any sort. Wow. That's just so amazing to me. And here's the thing. we go back to what we've heard about Joe Burrow, right, and what kind of defines him in a lot of ways. The cerebral nature of the way he plays, mm-hmm. uh, the the way that he you know he feels like at the end of the season he's always always playing at his best. The same way that he feels like at the end of games he's always play. He has the most amount of information to take and use against you. Plays banked, knows exactly what you're trying to do, has you figured out. Once he has you figured out, he feels like he has all the answers early in games. He doesn't have the answers because he doesn't know exactly what they're tr- going to try to do. Maybe you know and. You can't predict that perfectly. You can hope, but a lot of times that doesn't play out. That's still, all that said, knowing that that's who he is kind of as a quarterback of a eventually, you know, work the problem and figure you out type of guy. That's still an amazing difference to, yeah. to net to one touchdown, one <laughs> touchdown in 54 drives in 54 drives. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's incredible. And it's, you know, it's worth I mean, this is not small sample size stuff at this point. I mean, this is this is kind of a characteristic, and and I don't know, you know, what you do to try. It's not like they've never. I mean, they've sure rushing touchdowns in that span, but I mean, you know, mm. and then six picks. So get through the first couple of drives, and then you feel a little bit better. Just try to avoid disaster early. Is really all <laughs> it really is at this point, or it is do you go the other way and you say look he he is he started so slow that and he's got this ability to bring him back they they almost won that game sunday with how far they fell behind maybe do you do the does brian and zach say he's going to get us back into it if there is a mistake let's be more aggressive early let's not kind of dip our toe in and let's let's really attack from the get go all right costanza do the opposite. Going to do the opposite. <laughs> the opposite of what you should do. I like it. I like it. My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I like it. An excellent, an excellent thought. Uh, so play callings mentioned. Let's let's talk about this real quick before we get to John Machota. Just talk about and dive a little bit deeper into everything going on in Dallas. This this has been obviously a, a area of conversation. If you listen to the athletic football show, you might have heard the uh, the rant by Ollie Connolly, who Robert Mays had on about wanting to throw his laptop into the ocean watching the Bengals' uh, unimaginative <laughs> offense. Um, and a lot of this has stemmed from you know the predictability of their sets, where it looks like they're running to offenses at the same time both that only do one thing when they're in shotgun they're just dropping back and they're in the empty joe burrow air raid open up and throw it and when they're under center they're trying to run rams mcveigh shanahan wide zone and run it and there's not a lot of crossover 
right? Uh, well, particularly in in the game against Pittsburgh, um, you know, you you see them run it where when they're under center, they dropped back, they play action, drop back to throw uh, 10.5% of the time, which ranked 31st. Only the Eagles were worse. They had four plays uh, and didn't. So they were at 0%, which the Eagles are just a non-factor because they just don't do that. Um, and so you're, that was there were there was about, I think, a 13% and 18%. Most of it's up in the 20s and up into the 30s and beyond. But, you know, so that's an extreme predictability. 17 of 19 under center, including the overtime, um, are runs. And then on the and they weren't successful and you can imagine part of you can you can imagine why uh only a 25% offensive success rate on that which ranked 28th when they were in a shotgun it's not like okay with well, under shotgun maybe that was a little bit no when they're in a shotgun you know they were th- dropping back to throw it 84% of the time so i mean when when teams are sitting there and you're in shotgun and they know there's a 8 and 10 chance that you're throwing it they can lean when they know that there's a one in 10 chance that you're throwing it under center, they can attack. And, and I think that has certainly shown the question is that now this is not new. So this was, you know, this is last year. This was part of it too. Hmm. Last year, they, when they were under center, they dropped back to throw it 23.4% of the time, which ranked 29th. So again, when they're under center, they were running it the vast majority of the time, almost as much as anybody else in the league. I mean, you're up there. There's like, you know, the Baltimore's of the world are there with you who are running a whole different offense, you know. And and so when you when you have that same level of predictability, yeah, it's an issue. The question is, I don't think people are asking for it to be a thing where all of a sudden they're 50-50, you know. I mean, you can do that. Um, there's plenty of teams in their area. I mean, where they were last year, San Francisco, Indianapolis, that are focused on efficiency in the passing game, right? So the the anticipation of the run is what helps set off getting them a couple of extra steps the wrong direction when you do throw it. And the 50-50 split on that doesn't necessarily get that. This far going this far of just running it all the time is probably not healthy. Like 17 of 19, uh, how about 14 of 19, right? Can you just like manufacture three more play action quick shots in the corridor to chase or whoever? Like, can, can you do that? I think that's what people are looking for. I wonder how much they were, they're setting it up for the season a little yes, bit too. That's like to me, it was like, do we need to use all this again to beat Pittsburgh? Felt like the way they were running offense. Yeah, because it's it's not as though they're blind to this. They they study the analytics, they study the numbers, the percentages. They know what their tendencies are. Um, so it, it it has to be by design. The question is why. It, it, your point, either setting up for later in the year, because no offense is better built to take advantage of play action than this one. You have a great running back, a hard physical running back in Mixon, and you've got guys on the outside that. Can can win one on one even without play action. You you throw play action in the mix and you can really exploit them over the top. So either they're not doing it because they are trying to set something up later, or as you've mentioned in the past, maybe Joe Burrow's just not comfortable doing that. But it, it 
it, at some point you have to, you, you cannot be this predictable over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, and that has been the assumption since the beginning of this is, is they're trying to work on Burrow's comfort level, throwing the ball out of this. And, and that it ends up feeling like you have two different offenses because they do mm-hmm. Bengals offense is a blend of things Burrow likes to do and did at LSU and has done well here and does well in the NFL and the Rams, you know, Shanahan McVay wide zone stuff. It is, it is a blend of them. The problem is those don't blend together. Like they're just, they're just two different things. You're just running two different offenses and that's fine. If you're good at both of them, um, you can do two different things, but I think there does need to be more variance to avoid some of the predictability you saw against Pittsburgh, where it was just so obvious, you know, um, and and, th- and it was last year. I mean, again, they were ten and a half percent, seventeen and nineteen. Last year they were twenty twenty four percent. Again, you were on the lighter side, um, but it's not as obscene as as what the opener was. So I I, I like rather than diving into a big pointing fingers on play calling after one game. Let's see a couple of games. Let's see a couple of different game plans. Let's see how they react to that and and how that plays out over a little bit of a larger sample size and game plan before we go pointing to this is stupid. They don't know anything. And and maybe that ends up being the case. Um, But I I don't, I do think we need to look at, uh, you know, Dallas and New York and then you can start to take a closer or the first quarter of the season after Miami, different schemes, um, and see then what does it look like? Mm-hmm. Is predictability killing them? Um, and maybe it is. Maybe it will be. Maybe it stays just like this and never changes. If that's the case, then some real conversations need to be had as to why that why that is happening. But you know, for now, I, I don't. You know, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt on them moving closer to where they, at least to where they were last year. I, it, it would be an absolutely stunning development if they were around 10% all year. I just, that's not, they're, they're far too aware of that and what they're doing to, to, to do that. Yeah. And, and maybe what you were saying, the, the setting up, it, maybe it wasn't setting up Pittsburgh for later in the game. Maybe it was setting up week one for week two because of, of what Dallas is and how much they, how aggressive they are at attacking the ball. And, and maybe this is where they, they get back to, to, to more of a, a respectable number instead of 17 out of 19 and really attack the Cowboys, try to take some shots down the field off play action. Yeah, and Zach Taylor asked about it yesterday and, and basically it was very short in his answers on a couple of questions about it and basically just saying it's early. Hmm. I mean, that was kind of his, his answer. It's early. Give it some time. All right, let's just take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of giving it some time, we'll get uh, another sample size of it uh, on Sunday. Bengals at Dallas, and they will be facing a team that is in chaos, Jay. Total (laughs) 
total chaos. How bad is it? Only one way to find out, and that's going to the never overreactive, never thinking the sky is falling fan base of the Dallas Cowboys. So, <laughs> Jay, here's your conversation with our good friend, John Machota, uh, down in Big D. So what is going on in Dallas? Is the sky completely falling, or are there still pieces coming through the atmosphere right now? Is it is it pretty bleak among the fan base? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and it has a lot to do with just – how it was going into the season. I mean, this is just one of these off seasons where they just didn't make a lot of big moves and they lost Amari Cooper and Lyle Collins, as you know, and Cedric Wilson and Randy Gregory, and they didn't replace those, those key pieces with many other new key pieces from other teams. They're very sold on the whole idea of draft and develop, and that's what they're going to do. And, um, so there's just a lot more question marks going into this season. And then just the way they played in the opener was just particularly on offense. I mean, they're the only team in the NFL that didn't score a touchdown in week one. I mean, you really don't need to say much more than that. And, uh, Hey, the Buccaneers defense, it, it looks like it's going to be pretty good. It's not good enough to sh- shut down the Cowboys to, and hold them to three points. I, I mean, uh, that's just, it was just a bad showing. And then obviously you, at the end of the game, Dak hurts his thumb, and you're just kind of like, oh, it'll probably just be, you know, nothing big. They just didn't probably want him to go back in because the game's already over. And then Jerry Jones tells us that he's going to need surgery. He's going to miss several weeks. And so, I mean, it didn't look great. The offense didn't look great with Dak in it, so I don't know how people are going to expect it to look much better uh, with Cooper Rush, their backup quarterback, starting this weekend. Yeah, some possible foreshadowing for Bengals fans where when when you have the quarterback on the big contract, sometimes those decisions to not replace key pieces, that's that goes along with it. I think the Bengals are very happy to be writing Joe Burrow on a on a rookie deal right now Um, with Dak and and him being out. I mean, I guess it's still a little murky how long that's going to be, but it's definitely going to be Sunday. Um, I. I want to get your opinion on Cooper Rush. I, I, you know, the, the perception out there is he has no experience. He played one game last year against Minnesota, came in a couple, couple snaps. I don't know what he throw about 13, 14 passes Sunday night. But on the other hand, he has a lot of experience for a backup quarterback. He's been with this team for what, six seasons now? I had a little, little blip where he went right. to the Giants, but he came back. But has Kellen Moore been the offensive coordinator the entire time he's been there? Well, no, actually in 2017, when, Cooper Rush signed as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent out of Central Michigan. He was not expected to get drafted. He was going to be a late-round pick or mm. priority free agent. So they signed him as an undrafted guy. And he was actually, at one point, competing with Kellen Moore uh, for right. the backup job behind Dak Prescott. And then um, they ended up Rush ended up getting it later on in the season. But uh, Kellen Moore was initially that. So they know each other from the tail end of yeah. Kellen Moore's playing day. So... That's the big thing about Cooper Rush is that they just feel very comfortable with him, particularly Kellen Moore did. And, you know, when when he did leave the Cowboys, it was only for a few months. He went to the Giants because at the time their offensive coordinator was Jason Garrett, who obviously was familiar with Cooper Rush. And so, right. yeah, he's not going to do a ton of stuff that's just going to blow you away and wow you. Um, he's he's, you know, an NFL backup quarterback, but he also knows the system enough and he's going to take care of the football enough that unless you're going to sit there and make some significant move outside the building, he's going to be better than anything that I I know people think that this sounds ridiculous. Maybe they do. I don't know. They shouldn't, but like the idea of bringing in cam Newton and thinking like in a week, Mm -hmm. he's just going to be on the same page with these receivers. And that that's going to be a better option. I'm not saying they're going to win games with Cooper rush, but I don't see them winning games with cam Newton either. So obviously the other talk out here would be the 
oh, we'll trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. This team is not making any significant offseason investments on players outside the building. And so now you think that they're going to trade a significant pick for Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, just They're not going to do that. And now that Jerry Jones goes on the radio this morning and talks about how he thinks Dak's going to be back sooner than later and and that the prognosis is even better than what they originally thought now that he had the hand surgery uh, Monday afternoon. Now they're, Now he thinks that he could be back in four weeks, and that's why they're not going to put him on injured reserve. And so originally it was thought he was going to be out six to eight, eight weeks. Now maybe he's back in four. So that on top of it, they're not going to sign another quarterback or trade for another quarterback. It's it's going to be Cooper Rush as the starter, Will Greer as the backup, and it's not a great situation. Um, but like I said, Sunday night they had they had a lot of their key pieces, and, and it wasn't a great situation there either for the offense. Yeah, it was going to be my next question is, you know, other than the DAC injury, what was the the most disappointing part of the opener in the 19 to 3 loss? Well, really, I mean, Dak didn't play well, and then the receivers didn't play well. You know, this is the first year where CeeDee Lamb is stepping in as their their official number one receiver. I mean, he led them in receiving yards, and he was their technical, statistical leading receiver last year with Amari Cooper. But now with Cooper gone, it's clearly CeeDee Lamb's the guy. I mean, and and you don't even have to get in a breakdown of plays in the game. You don't even have to watch the game. I can just tell you. He was targeted 11 times, and he caught two passes. I mean, there's nothing else that you would need to know. You don't need to know what routes he was running, who was defending him, what team he was playing, where the game was played at, who was throwing 11 targets and only two catches. That's that's terrible. So that's a huge issue there. The offense just didn't have any rhythm. And then on top of it is they were never able to sustain long drives, and I think that's the key to stopping this Cowboys offense is – Keep everything in front of you. Make them go 10, 12, 15 plays they have to score because they are, as they were last year, the most penalized team. They were 10 penalties on Sunday night. A lot of pre-snap penalties along the offensive line, holding calls, things like that. All 10 penalties were on the offense. They 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 don't have the ability to go 10, 12 play drives. They need quick hitters, and there just was nothing that looked close to being a quick hitter out of this, out of this offense Sunday night. CeeDee Lamb, the 11 targets, two catches, it's just remarkable for a guy with that kind of talent. What, were there drops? What Was it Zach Dak just missing him? What, I mean, what what was going on there? Why why did they struggle so bad to get him the ball? Yeah, there was there was one drop for sure, maybe two, one for sure that that was on CD. Um, but they didn't look at, like they were on the same page a little bit. And then the other part was that, you know, like every team's going to do, there's a lot of coverage going to be shifted his way because everyone knows now with Amari gone and Michael Gallup, uh, still out uh, recovering mm-hmm. from his knee injury that that he's the key guy that, that that everything you know everything starts with CD in the passing game and so you know they're going to give up let Dalton Schultz catch some balls their 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 top tight end underneath and things like that but they're going to roll that coverage over to CD and so that was a big part of it and then and just him and Dak just didn't weren't on the same page in a lot of things so CD and, and and Cooper they they played pretty well together in that Minnesota game that Cooper Rush started last year. Um, CD had a little over, I think it was a little over 110 yards uh, receiving in that game. So they definitely have a rapport, but obviously from team to team, what Cincinnati does against them could be completely different uh, than what Minnesota did. And so uh, there is, they they know each other. So that, that could be a positive for the Cowboys. Like I said, though, it's just tough to think that, okay, so Dak was having a hard time finding CD, (laughs) but now Cooper Rush is going to come in there and he's going to do that. I mean, it just, that seems a little bit uh, unreasonable. Any chance they get Gallup back? I know he practiced last week, but was still inactive. Where is he at with his recovery? Yeah, I, I don't believe so. Um, he started doing individual drills last week, 
And so I think that that'll be the plan again this week. And then I, I think week three, you know, they play the Giants in New York, your first NFC East game. I think that that's been kind of the target. You know, during training camp, when, when a receiver is coming off a knee injury, not doing any individual drills at all and not working in with the offense, you're thinking, all right, this guy probably started the season on pop, you know, missed the first four games and then bring him back in. And, and the Cowboys were like, no, we, we want him for those. We don't want to put him on pop. We want him to be able to practice because we think he's going to be back before then. So we were hearing a lot of the same stuff about him that we're now hearing today about Dak Prescott So um, and why they're not putting Dak on, on IR. So um, I don't see Gallup playing in that game. I, I really don't. So I think that the guys that the Bengals will have to worry about, number one will be CeeDee Lamb, and then number two will be uh, their tight end, Dalton Schultz, who – they would like to keep long-term, weren't able to reach a contract in the offseason, so he's got the franchise tag. A very productive, he's not going to be like a Kyle Pitts or one of those big-time, you know, down-the-seam tight ends, but he's very sure-handed, very solid. He He's the next guy in the passing game, I think, that Cooper Rush will be looking. And then after that, it's a lot of, Noah Brown has got some experience, but outside of CeeDee Lamb, none of the other receivers that will be playing against the Bengals have have caught a touchdown in an NFL game. Oh, so, so a, another area where these teams are similar other than their 0-1 records is a lot of questions on the offensive line. And whereas with the Bengals, it's, it seems to be an evergreen concern. It's a, it's a little bit new in Dallas, right? I mean, the, the, the O-line's been so good for so long. So uh, how did the rookie, Tyler Smith, hold up in, in his first game? And really the O-line in general, how did, how did they look? Yeah, they were, they actually played better than I thought. Maybe that's just yeah. not me. Maybe I just had the expectations so low, but, uh, but you're right. It, it really is a, this is the first time in Dak Prescott's career, you know, since he'd been drafted in 2016, that the offensive line has had this many question marks. You know, they've been able to count on Tyron Smith and Zach Martin and Travis Frederick. And then now you've moved as Tyron's out, Frederick retired. Uh, you have Zach Martin and he's clearly still at an elite level. No question about it. The other four guys, there's more question marks there. I will say their center, Tyler Biotish, he played pretty well. Um, and then um, Tyler Smith held up pretty well at left tackle, being asked to their first-round pick, who was going to start the season at left guard. But then when Tyron Smith went down, uh, they moved Tyler Smith out to the left tackle. And they, and they signed Jason Peters. Uh, you know, he's a 40-year-old you know, free agent who, hey, he he played pretty well last year for the Bears. So they signed him as kind of insurance and, but he's still in a ramp up period too. So I don't anticipate him playing against the Bengals. I think week three will be the target for him as well. Uh, just cause he didn't go through a training camp and he's coming, you know, right off of, uh, you know, coming off the street. He's, he hadn't been with a team. So, uh, Smith held up. Okay. But Connor McGovern, their left guard, he got the back of his ankle rolled up on. He's got a high ankle sprain. He'll be out for a couple of weeks. And so there they have Matt Farniak, who was, a seventh round pick last year, he'll be filling in there and he held up. Okay. Um, he, he did pretty well, but, um, we'll see going into this game. It, it the, the offensive line will still be a huge question mark going into this game. There, there's no doubt about that. So a, a lot did go wrong for the Cowboys in week one. And this is what happens in, in this league at, after the first game, there's just these massive overreactions. The media do it. The, the fans do it. Um, What's the biggest overreaction from the Cowboys from what you saw in game one that, that you maybe think isn't is going to be as big of a concern as what's what's being talked about right now? <laughs> I think that they're all legit, to be honest with you. I don't think there I really don't think there is any overreaction. I think it it's completely warranted. It's it's one of those. I mean, going into the season, I was saying I was like, man, this is the most pessimism from the fan base and deservedly so, because mm-hmm. I, I mean, last year you go, you know, you win the division, you go to the wild card. You're the only wild card team that hosted a game. 
that lost. All the other wild, other five all won at home. They're the only ones that lost at home. And they didn't build anything off of that. And so then you go into this season, and like I mentioned, the offseason losses on the roster. And you're just going to expect it to be better with a new draft class. I mean, so that was kind of one of those deals where, I mean, you got to be realistic about it. And so there was concerns about the offensive line. And after one week, I think that that hasn't changed very much. And then there was concern about the wide receivers and, and their rapport with who we thought was going to be Dak Prescott at quarterback. But, um, you know, I don't think that any of those concerns will be alleviated until you see Michael Gallup out there and that Michael Gallup's back to full strength. You know, when that happens, then you'll have Gallup on one side, you have CD, you'll be able to mix, mix and match there. And maybe another receiver steps up and, and you got something there. They, they have James Washington who they signed from, from the Steelers in the off season, but he injured his foot in the first uh, practice of training camp in pads. And so he'll be back in, in probably about a month. Uh, but, but even with that, like, I don't know how much better that that's going to make the receiving core. One of the biggest hits to that group was that, you know, they used a third round pick on Jalen Tolbert, a South Alabama wide receiver. And he was inactive for the first game, healthy scratch. And so that's mm-hmm. never a good thing on a team that needs wide receivers. So I don't think that there was anything that was oversold. You know, I really, I really don't. The defense, the defense played about as well as, as, I thought, I mean, they're, they're especially where they were two years ago, obviously drafting a Micah Parsons changes things real quickly. He's an absolute beast. He is, you know, there's no question. I mean, sometimes I want to hold back when I talk about him because I don't want people to think like, oh, you cover the Cowboys. So you just think, no, he's the real deal. He is Mm -hmm. absolutely, he's the best defensive player the Cowboys have had since DeMarcus Ware. He is a legit game wrecker. Um, It's funny down here. A lot of people will talk about, just move him to the defensive end. Let him be a (laughs) full-time defensive end. Well, defensive ends only play like 65, 70% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, Micah Parsons week one played every single defensive snap. So almost when they moved him to linebacker, it's like, get a breather here so that we're, you know, we want you on the field at all times because you can impact the game in so many ways. Um, but yeah, he is absolutely legit. We'll be in the defensive player of the year conversation all year. Two sacks against yeah. Tom Brady, both in the red zone, just huge plays that really, to be honest with you, uh, I felt like that those two plays almost in a way made it made the offense for the Cowboys look even worse. You're at home, the building's rocking, you get these two huge stops to hold them to field goals. One of them was a missed field goal. How does your offense not build any momentum off that? Yeah. I mean, that that was probably the most damning thing that happened in, in the opener. And, and speaking of damning, I mean I'm I'm curious with with the whole Dak thing is is does that give Mike McCarthy a pass or is he on the hot seat? Is it, might he not survive this season? Might he be the first coach fired this year? Yeah, that's a great question because it doesn't seem fair. I mean, it's not just yeah. it's not just Dak. I mean, you know, you go back to Mike McCarthy's first year. He takes over in the COVID you know season, and then Dak gets hurt early in the season, mm-hmm. and they lose him with the ankle injury. So he, you know, he hasn't had Dak for a, a huge part of his time as Cowboys head coach. And then the same thing with the offensive line. It hasn't been that. Cowboys offensive line that they had for about a decade where you thought was, Hey, this is one of the best, if not the best offensive lines in football right now. He hasn't had that because of injuries and things like that. And so, yeah, I don't know if that, if you go to any of the Vegas odds, like bet MGM and those things like that, they're going to have him, if not number one, he's going to be in the top two or three coaches uh, with the greatest odds to be the first one fired. I don't see that happening. I really don't. I think, Mm -hmm. I think he'll get 
the team would have to give up. You know, you'd have to it'd be one of those things where, you know, you'd be able to tell if you're just a fan watching, like, oh, the team's not even playing for him. And then they'll go in another direction. That's kind of what happened with Wade Phillips when they moved over to Jason Garrett uh, midseason. I mean, the team just, it, it would have to just completely be laying eggs and like acting like, you know, we don't even care about playing. And I just don't see this team doing that. So I don't think I don't think he's going to get let go. Now, at the end of the season, be reevaluated. And obviously, that's a possibility, you know. Um, but in terms of in season, I, I just, it doesn't make sense, especially with the DAC injury, why you would do something like that. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't get the feeling that the team doesn't play for him, you know, but if that yeah. happens, then yeah, you got to make a change. Yeah. Well, I mean, one way or the other, Armageddon is right around the corner for one of these franchises. Uh, there's going to be a fan base not very happy to be 0-2 on Sunday. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us here today, John, and uh, um, look forward to catching up Sunday. All right, Jay, any, um, any takeaways from your conversation that you had with John? Yeah, I love the because we in the AFC North whip round, we've got a question coming up about overreactions. And when I ask him about what what's the overreaction that's too too big of an overreaction, he said none of them. They're all legitimate. It's <laughs> they, they are a mess. There's so much going on down there. Um, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see because that the you know along the the question I asked about is this is the DAC injury kind of a like a fallback. Does it almost give Mike McCarthy a pass and give the Cowboys a pass? The fan base isn't going to look at it that way. Maybe Jerry Jones does, but I mean, this is two team. Neither one of them wants to go. zero and two. That's the last place you want to be. It's the last place either team expected to be. So even though the Cowboys have so much going wrong, we've seen this before, not just at, you know, teams, Mike white, the jets, when, when the, the Bengals have a history of making backup quarterbacks look really good, whether it's their debut game or whether they have a little bit of experience. And I'm stunned the way the the betting line flipped from Cowboys by two to Bengals by seven. I I I think this is going to be closer than than people think. That's you've got a team where it it we, we the the term must win is overused. Oh, Jay, it Jay. really not for the Bengals for the Cowboys. I mean, this is. Oh, and two, you can pretty much write them off if if, this, if the Bengals get them this week. I think you're going to see a, a very desperate Cowboys team on Sunday. Well, I think you could already write them off the moment Dak Prescott was going to be out for, although they think he could be back only, earlier yeah. or whatever. But I mean, yeah, we will not on this program be using must win in week two. <laughs> We're just not going to do it. Okay. And I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want people saying it that listen to this show. <laughs> if you listen to hear that podcast ground and you're hanging out at the, the bar in Delhi or Reading, and you start talking about must wins, don't say you heard it here. You didn't. Okay. <laughs> We're not doing that. It's week two. So you earned win. Sorry. I don't like. I don't ever remember. Remember, we said the must-win armband that we talked about last year. Yes, that you if you can only use must-win once because there can only be one must-win. Okay, so if you, as a media member anywhere covering the NFL, use this is a must-win. You have to put on your must-win armband and show that you have used your must-win, and it's you only get one, and you've used it up for the season. You cannot say it again. You only get it once, okay? And if you're using a must-win on Bengals at Dallas, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. It's ridiculous. 
if if you're six and seven, each of the last four games are must wins. You can't you can't say it's just one. Maybe yeah, maybe mu- yeah, right. You put yourself in a position where you have to get to eleven wins or something. I'm sure. That's that's fine. I don't, but I, I'm just saying. It's certainly in the first half of a season, really yeah, the first twelve weeks of a season. Nothing you, before Thanksgiving. No, no. Look, if the Bengals lose and go zero and two, they could very easily recover, get back to two and two by beating the Dolphins and the Jets, and be sitting there at the first quarter at two and two and have plenty of time. Like. There's always plenty of time to get back into it this time of year, no matter how much it seems like. Now, there will be some real hard conversations, and people will scream and yell and want firings, as we're well aware. Uh, but that's fine. The reality is that the length – just you got to just keep in perspective the length of the season. It feels like the sky is falling you know, on Sunday night and Monday morning. But once you really start thinking about it and you just – the whole perspective changes if you just go and win the next week. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to win this one and this one and this one. And they'll be four and two before you know it, right? Like, that's just – it can happen that fast. So go there. You, you play a game you should win. You do need to win these games. Like, obviously, when we look back at the end of the season, we'll say, ah, oh, that really hurt you. But this is, you know, even in the situation the Bengals are in, we're not, you know, we're not doing it. This is not what this is. Um, sorry, this happens every every like. There is nothing more predictable than an early season must win game rant that I fire off. I'm actually surprised. I'll fire one off in December. Like I don't. I. It's just. It's just a personal. It's just a personal thing with me. I, it, just, it just. It just. It just irks me. Just wrong. I've got a new uh, an idea for a new database to keep uh, phrases that will trigger Paul. Yes. That is that is certainly one of them. <laughs> Must win game is definitely amongst them. Um, okay, uh, let, let's we're going to get into our game talk and predictions here in a second. Until then, Jay, you got any Arby's for us, real quick, as we uh, start wrapping this thing up? Yeah. So I I talked to a bunch of guys yesterday who um, have gone back and played against their former team because I. I I tried to get Cheeto and I tried to get Leo Collins and neither one of them seemed too interested about talking about going to back to Dallas. Which is a story in its own right, in my opinion. It is. um, We'll see. Well, maybe they'll talk today. But so I I ask a bunch of the other guys and because a lot of times you hear players say this, that, oh, yeah, it's just another game. And every single guy I talked to said, no, that's crap. That, That there is there is something very very special about it and it's not always i'm gonna stick it to them because sometimes they leave on their own accord sometimes the money's better elsewhere but i was asking mike thomas the the safety about this and and he said when he went back to play the giants in the preseason he said he must have hugged every single player and every single coach that he played with. He was late getting into his pregame warmup because of it. He said he was hugging coaches and players that weren't even there when he was playing <laughs> there. It was just such a cool thing to go back there. And it's so much more fun to play against guys that you know really well and you're friends with. You have relationships. A lot of these relationships go beyond um, the, the, the their time together as teammates. They stay in touch after they go their separate ways. So – it is. It's it's going to be special for for both Leo Collins and Cheeto, and and both of them were based not 
yeah, they were cast offs. I mean, the, the Cowboys could have offered them contracts to stay and elected not to. And it's worked out great for Cheeto. The change of scenery is exactly what he needed. You see that all the time. Um, still kind of a incomplete on Leal after one game. We will see. He seems very happy in Cincinnati. But I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of emotions flowing through those guys when they roll into the stadium on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Collins, I mean, they were like, get out of here. Yeah. I mean, this is a dude who was a centerpiece of great offensive lines for them, who's still in his prime, who they're like, "Ah, we're not willing to pay you. Like that, I mean, anybody that's ever worked in a job where someone said no to a promotion, said, or just, you know, never re-signed you to whatever, or you moved on and and they never really had much interest in keeping you or didn't even say nice things after you left, (laughs) like... That stuff, everybody knows, that sits under your skin and you just want to make them regret it. And I think Cheeto was heavily criticized during his time in Dallas. Heavily criticized. He was a second-round pick. He was a four-year starter. And people wanted him to be better than they thought he was. And, And I think it took away any benefit of the doubt he ever deserved. And I do think that war on him there, he's talked about that in the past. And Collins, I mean, I'm. we'll see. But, I mean, he should have every reason to play motivated going there. I, I think that those are two really interesting storylines on both sides of the ball to watch with real motivation going back to Dallas. So um, I think there's. I think that's legitimate there. And I think the fact that they don't want to talk about it usually is a sign <laughs> that it's something they're thinking about. Um but that's just me. Uh, Arby's for me. Talked to Kevin Huber a little bit yesterday um, just about the absurdity of game 208 being the game where he sees something he's never seen for the first time, which if anything ever proves like the NFL axiom about you just never know what's going to happen next and and, and it's the, one of the most unpredictable games ever, the fact that he's the day that he sets the franchise record for most games played in franchise history at 208, something that has is unlike anything he's ever seen or been a part of happens to him. The one thing he was talking about in the punt at the end about how you know the big nervousness for them and Mike T, uh, who's the personal protector calling the snap there where they snapped it at 13 seconds, was just... If Mitch is just sitting there, go taking it down to one second, thinking about the snap. It's like icing the kicker times mm. five, thinking about I better not go over his head, I better not send him over his head. And he just has to stand there, and you know, and his his legs can start shaking, and like you know, because you're down in that crouch for a long time, and just snap it, just get it off. Because he, mm. Huber said what we said is that you're thinking the only way you possibly lose this game, he said, is if I'm running after that ball. <laughs> like, that's it. I, I have He's like, I got this vision of myself having to run and, and and go pick up a ball. And so that's why it just snapped. He's like, if it's Clark, it's down to one, like a half a tick before it goes and he fires it off. He's like, no, I'm not snapping it till one second. But that's, you know, again, uh, it kind of goes back to the, to the whole, maybe just take the old delay. But, that's a, a whole other story, but it was Kevin just laughing about how crazy it is. The fact that in this game <laughs> and, and, and having to sit there and th- he's like, I've never had to think about a snap quite like that. And he said, you know, he was, he's like, I was able to get it down. Like it wasn't, but you know, I, he's, I probably over accentuated the hold and that really ripping to go get it and ripping to get it down. Cause I knew I might have to make a move like that. And it just changes the whole way. You're like, now you're thinking about it. 
And with those guys, so much of what has made them great over time is they're just not thinking about it. As Clark Harris will tell you, it me he he, he will say himself, being a dumb long snapper is the only way to be a long snapper. You know, <laughs> don't think about it. Just go out there and do it. And that you know, the fact that everyone was thinking about it clearly was part of what went wrong. And a lot of confidence in Cal and, and what what that will look like with yeah. Cal Adamitis, uh going forward. So. Uh, but a fun conversation with him is we, he could, was just laughing about the absurdity of of him breaking the record on a day where something he's never had happen happened to him. Um, so there's that. Let's um, let's drop in a quick. Uh, we just kind of talked about this a little bit from Patrick G, who said, "So this is the Lel Collins revenge game. What areas does this really matter? Would you say he offers run pass or boot? Does he offer more scheme insight?" Experience going against their players or just motivation? Yeah. I, was this a run pass or boot or is it just yeah, a run question? Pass or boot. Yeah. Um I I would say probably schemes scheme insight I would run with. Um Pro, go with the insight on player second. Motivation third, just because it's it's motivating for Lael Collins, but these guys are motivated to play every game. I mean, a little bit more this game, but is, is it really going to make that big a difference? And if it is, if you're too emotional and you're too motivated to show them, uh, maybe it leads to some some missteps and some mistakes along the way. So um, I, I don't I don't think the the motivation is is anywhere near those other two, and I don't think those other two are are huge either. But they are distinct advantages. I was going to run with motivation. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I, you know, especially as like a run blocker, I just think he, there's going to be so much. I just think there's going to be a lot of extra juice with him. And, it, and maybe that's, maybe that's off. I, I also don't think there's much scheme insight or knowing who the other guys are to it that much. I mean, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he certainly saw how they use Micah Parsons firsthand and things like that. And, but I don't, I I just I don't think much of the other two, and so that's maybe why I would go with motivation, run with motivation, and there's no way to prove whether we're right or not. No, uh, but you know I think it is a fun conversation. But we can prove this one, this one from Joshua, run pass or boot. Uh, for we, we uh, sorry Josh, we altered it to make it a little bit better to make it. We're calling it the Blake Maslin special. We're <laughs> making it four four four. Uh, rather than the numbers that you had associated with it. So run, pass, or boot, four-plus sacks for the Bengals' defense, four-plus turnovers for the Bengals' defense, or four-plus touchdowns for the Bengals' offense. Uh, run, pass, or boot, what do you think, Jay? Um, I'm, I'm going to run with four-plus sacks. I, I think this this is a really good pass rush. It's a an inexperienced in some regards quarterback in Cooper Rush. He has been there for a long time. He knows the offense in and out. He has not done it against live bullets very often. So I could see there being some confusion. Uh, I could see the Bengals jumping out and, and getting a lead and they have to throw more. Um, so I'll, I'll run with that with the four plus sacks. I'll pass on the, the four touchdowns. I think they can do it. I think they can have an explosive game and bounce back, but um, I, I don't think it's as likely as the sacks. And then I'm going to boot the four turnovers. I'd, I'd be shocked. I have to go back and look. Have they ever? When was the last time they had four or more turnovers in back-to-back games? It just it just doesn't happen. Even when you're a bad team, and this is not a bad team. 
off the top of my head, I'm just going to say 1999. This feels like a year where that might have happened. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly Some, don't know. I'd 1990 something. Yeah, 1990 <laughs> something uh, without question. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm with you. Exact same order. Um, I just I think highly of the Dallas defense, though. I mean, I do think that they're going to give the Bengals a, a hard time, and the, the the defining factor will be whether they do get to the, give up the turnovers. But I don't think it would get to four. Um, I do think the sacks. This Dallas offensive line is a train wreck right now. Yeah. Um, they, they've got all kinds of issues, and the Bengals should be able to take advantage of that for some sacks. And and yeah, I don't think the turnovers are going to happen. So I'll go with the same order. Uh, growler bet time. Okay. Here's what we've got for you. Remi- reminder, you can send us your answers to pdaner at theathletic.com on email or on Twitter. Just make sure you can do it to at jmorrisonath or at Pauliner Jr., but just make sure you use the hashtag Bengals Growler Bet. Make sure you use the hashtag Bengals Growler Bet. That's how we search it. And if you send me an email, make sure Growler is somewhere in the subject header. That's how I find you. It is by searching through the Growler in the subject header. So those are the only rules. Here is the question. If you get this correct next year at the Thursday show, or maybe the next time we're at 50 West, could be sooner than that. Hopefully. You can come down. And get a delicious six-pack of 50 West beer. You can ask some of our friends that listen. They, we paid out a couple of six-packs um, at the at the uh, preseason prediction extravaganza. So let's say this, Growler bet this week. Time of first interception for either team. So Bengals pick off Cooper Rush. Dallas picks off Joe Burrow. Time of game of first interception, you got to be within, say, five seconds. Is that too hard? No, I think that's pretty easy. Five seconds is easy. That's a nice buffer. Five seconds either direction. So it's technically 10. Yeah, Uh, yeah, but interception could be any time all game. It's not like some of these Mm. where you typically know about what time. I mean, it really could be. There could be none, which if your answer is zero, Sorry to break it to you, but I've got another second part to it. If you want to take the, try to take the easy out, out and sneak one out on us, not having it. <laughs> not having it. Uh, if you want to try to say zero, then you have to tell me the number of sacks the Bengals give up in the game. If you want to say zero. You have to have both of those correct then. So those are the rules. Hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter or pdaner at theathletic.com. Get to me before kickoff, and uh, if you're correct, then 50 West beer, delicious 50 West can be yours. Home sweet home is out now, Jay. So, you know, it's I'm down there. I'm I'm hammering home <laughs> sweet home, and it's in store. They got it in Kroger now. They got gems. it in cans. Oh, it's so good. Best fall beer, best fall beer in the city, in my very humble yet biased opinion. Um, prediction time. Oh no, we we, Brow, so we got to do our Brow, bets. What do you yeah. what you got? What's your time? Um, well, I want to. Can I first recap last year? Oh wow, yeah, we haven't done a full last year recap since this is our yeah. first one of the season. You're correct. Let's. What, what, how did things wrap up last year? So, so Paul screamed out to a four to one lead last year. You just wanted I, to bring about your but you want to talk about your uh, comeback. Yeah, I came back and made it five to five after the home game against Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and then closed the year on a six to two run to win eleven to seven. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> All right. Uh, going for this one, uh, Palindrome, 
555 of the first quarter. 555 first quarter. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, I, I think something's going to go down a little bit before halftime. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 227 second quarter. 227 left in the second quarter for me on that one. Um, we'll get an interception. All right. Game prediction, Jay. It is time. Um, both of us missed week one. Although we had we did both have the Steelers cover. Yeah. Um, but we had the Bengals winning. Uh Bengals are seven point favorites in this one. Um, at least that's the last place I saw the line, which has been a moving. Um, what do you got? Yeah, I hate to go right on the number, but I, I think it's spot on. Um I'm I'm going Bengals twenty four. Cowboys 17. Okay. Uh, I have Bengals 23, Cowboys 10. I think they bounce Mm -hmm. back. I think, uh, you know, I think it ends up being the same story that we should have been talking about last weekend, which is we end up talking about the Bengals defense when we'd end up not talking about the Bengals defense enough when we should. Uh, You know, I just think this Bengals defense is going to give this very, this this Cowboys offense that has just a myriad issues, um, all kinds of fits. They're they're really set up to take advantage, and you know I don't think Cooper Rush is the guy. I mean, you know, everyone's got Mike White in the back of their head. Everyone's having visions of the Jets game last year. I, I think Burrow will play well. Uh, I don't think he'll turn it over, and if he does that, the Bengals should score some points, uncertainly enough. And I think the defense carries the day for the most part. I I, I don't think only the Cowboys are going to get all the way up to seventeen. So that's I'm going to say Bengals twenty three ten. Really, really looking forward to watching Jamar Chase and Trayvon Diggs. Uh, that, that rivalry goes back to LSU, Alabama. Um, he, Jamar, kind of took a shot this week. Um, I, it's, I think that's going to be a very, very entertaining matchup to watch on Sunday. Yeah, Chase six for one forty and a touchdown in LSU, Alabama. Which, by the way, you want to have some fun about how good that game was? Just go back and look at the, the rock Rockers. score of LSU, <laughs> Alabama, twenty nineteen, and the names. Yeah. On the, I mean, it is absurd how much talent was on that field for that game, which was an incredible game in Tuscaloosa. The uh, that LSU won, and Joe Burrow waved at the Alabama fans saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, so anyway, all right, uh, that wraps us up. We will be back with the walkout on Sunday night uh, after the Bengals play in Dallas. Uh, anybody listening from the Dallas area that wants to, uh, you know, say hello, or you know. If you want to buy me a beer or something, like it's cool. <laughs> I accept. Uh, if you've got any, any restaurant racks, always down for that. I've got some friends in Dallas I'm very much looking forward to seeing too. Uh, so it's going to be a fun trip. Very much looking forward to it. Jay, you enjoy Pearl Jam. I will. Uh, uh, I, I, hope, I hope you get the, um, the Bob O'Reilly closer. It's always my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a hammer. It's a hammer. So, uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.